up in athletic, right? So I'm looking at this from the outside. This is purely from an, a, spe a spectator sport angle, right? I'm looking at this deal. So they were incredibly proud of, hey, we're going to absorb a lot of these phenomenal journalists from other groups. I think there's some group that let go a bunch of journalists at the time. So we're going to pay these folks what they're worth. That was athletics model. I met with many of the writers over time. So just we would have drinks or something. They always we ended up being in each other's circles at times. And it's it was phenomenal. They said that we, we paid we paid they paid him well right now. How are you looking from a venture first check in saying, okay, they're going to pay over market for their talent to get content, which is phenomenal. Sports is a daily habit information around it. So we all, you know, so it's a great go-to, go-to. I want, we want to see that. What was your thought process around Are they going to overpay them? They're going to pay their journalists over market at the time. And, and then how are we going to build a model around this? What was your thought process? Just go get into that. Well, every single startup that's raising venture is is planning to subsidize something in order to create a moat, right? In some cases, you are spending money to build software and product that becomes your moat. In some cases, you're willing to spend money on marketing and branding, and that becomes your moat. In our case, our moat was going to be the talent. We were going to spend money on talent to make sure that if we had the best writers in the world, that eventually the thesis was... Um, sports fans care enough that they will spend a cup of coffee a month, $6 to, uh, to, to get access to the best writing on, on the planet. And the thesis ended up being true. Um, certainly we never turned a profit, but Hey, 99% of startups never turn a profit either. We, you know, once you raise venture, you're playing the game of swinging for the fences. You are going to burn, burn, burn in order to build as big of a user base as you can. And then you got to hope that somebody takes you out before the, the day of reckoning comes. Uh, for us, the, 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 the factor that made us eventually cross the, uh, the hump and, and make the investment in the athletic was their retention rate. So we actually met with the guys before they launched their, I think it was two days before they launched in Chicago, which was their first city. And we loved them. We, we, we loved the guys. We thought you know, Adam and Alex were fantastic founders. But it was an untested concept of pay paying for sports content. For the most part, there was so much free sports content out there that while the thesis was sound, there was nothing to prove that people would actually pay subscriptions. And keep in mind, this was, you know, this was six years ago where a lot has changed in the subscription landscape. Today, you know, we went from, from unbundling cable to now I think people are going, man, how many subscriptions do I have? Maybe I need to rebundle again because I'm, I'm spending more money than I was on my cable subscription back in the day. But we, we were right at that point when cord cutting was happening. Everyone was talking about going and buying individual subscriptions to things, but we didn't know whether it was going to happen or not. And so we actually didn't make our investment on day one. They actually went into Y Combinator and they spent the next like four to five months building product. And it was when we looked at their data four to five months in and we said, man, your retention rates on your monthly subscribers is 99%. It's higher than we've ever seen any subscription product. And granted, it's a small sample size of a couple thousand subscribers, but just even within such a small sample size to see such a sticky product, we knew that they were onto something. And that was why before they even got out of Y Combinator, you know, I still remember going, flying out to San Francisco, meeting Alex at a at the Hilton that was right on the edge of the tenderloin where I thought I was going to die and, uh, and, and basically giving them a term sheet a couple days later at a $6 million valuation. Uh, and we led their, their seed around with a half a million dollar check. And then, you know, about six months goes by 
they're killing it. They've gone from call it 2000 subscribers up to, you know, I think they were probably at like 25,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. The retention rate was still holding strong, even with that larger sample size. And so we said, well, before anybody else gets in here, let's preempt this round and let's give them another term sheet. And so we also led their series A, which I think ended up being probably a, a four to $5 million series A. So, you know, looking back, this was six years ago, first round was, was a half a million. Second round was like 5 million. Today, you know, these rounds would have been probably two to $3 million pre-seed round uh, or seed round. And then the next round would have probably been 20 on a hundred. And if that had been the case, man, our returns would not have looked nearly as good if they had gotten bought for half a billion dollars. I won't go too deep in this because I know I might, um, I, I'm a numbers nerd and they all know that. They tell me to shut up once in a while, the students. Uh, I love them all. So you said, I think you said 500K to six mil, so it's a 12X, let's say your investment on valuation. Uh, let me just, I, I'm not going to go too far. Let's let's nip it. Let's say the first round was six mil that you invest. That was the valuation of the company when Vasu's group, Courtside Ventures, invested in them for students. They just got acquired where I think it was 500, 550, something in that room, in that world. 550. I know you know the number. All right, 550 mil, right? So that now Vasu, technically, his group, done. They get to wipe their hands of it. They get, they, they kept whatever happens. If the valuation goes down to 250, they captured their bag. Let's just call it that. Right. <laughs> um, so they're good now. And just think of like a 6 million valuation where they early, cause they took the risk to get involved with this company. Now New York times said this company is phenomenal. We need it as part of our, our, our portfolio boom at 550 mil. That's a nice return. Let's, let's get into um, where else should we take this man? Um, I, okay. When you and I first began talking, I, I want a little side nugget story. I remember I was, I took a train into Rutgers University. I knew about your company crossover getting acquired almost like two days after you did. And it's sad how I found out. I texted you or I emailed you say, Hey man, you're like, well, how the hell do you know this shit? Right. Mm -hmm. so, Cause I was at a, I was, I was a judge on some startup showcase at Rutgers. I had to take a plane train automobile to get there, whatever I did. And I was talking to some of the other judges and that one of the guys was an LP and some fun that invests in your company. And then you, and then, and then I said, Hey, and you're like, well, how do you know this? I said, some dude, I was just sitting next to you. I don't know the guy. And you know, these, that's the kind of the, you know, the world. And that's, you know, this, some gentleman wasn't an active participant in a fund, but just put some capital toward in a fund and they invested in Vasu's early company. And, and then it was acquired and who acquired them by the way, at the end of the day, who, who's it? Um, well, it was a company called stack sports, but they were really a private equity roll up. Uh, Ooh, they were they were basically buying up a number of companies. That, not, nothing worse than private equity. Let me tell you, I, I never want to do a deal with private equity ever again. Those, those, those guys are the devil. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. We'll we'll leave that for the private equity class. But I completely agree with you because their their goal is not to. It's just the bottom line. Let's gut everything else. I'm, well, every, rocks, every, rocks, everything rocks. to them. Everything to them is a line on a spreadsheet. Every person is a line on a spreadsheet. They're all disposable. They do yeah. not care. They're about extracting every last drop of juice that they can before they sell you for parts to somebody else. And, yeah, and, and VC and on the contrary is it's huggable money. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So the NBA, you and I have chatted a lot about this. So the NBA, I would have said five, six years ago was the most tech savvy league in American sports. Would you still say so today? From your I, I actually think baseball has been the most tech savvy from what? It, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in terms of, if you look at their streaming product, if you look at their analytics, if you look at the in-stadium technology that they use for tracking every pitch and, and all like all of that data 
they are light years beyond everyone else. Like if you look at the NBA's just their our streaming product, it's trash. Like NBA League Pass is so bad. Uh, and we're in 2022 and every single year I cannot get the stupid fucking app to recognize my my uh, my cable subscription. Like six minutes, yeah. six second delay, six minute in my case, apparently. <laughs> so, so the, the NBA, I'll say the NBA's ownership is the most tech savvy and forward thinking because it's the most diverse. It's mostly younger guys. It's people, a lot of people who sold tech companies have ended up buying okay. into, into the NBA. And as a result, you know, they have definitely pushed a more progressive agenda than any of the other leagues. The NFL is obviously like, you know, old white people that that you know run not that there's anything wrong run. with that class. Nothing, nothing wrong with old white people but you know uh and and the mlb as well is, is very old but because of mlb advanced media and the fact that they spun out that group you know they've they've definitely been on the cutting edge of technology but far more monetizable than tech would you still say baseball no no not really monetizable tech right it's it's in it's 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 tech for yeah the mlb and for its teams and for for that right but um, the, the NBA, look, the NBA is just a much more personable sport. It's much more global. You know, you, you don't, you don't play baseball around the world. You play basketball in every corner of China. Um, I would so. say these guys, they're watching out with their lockout baseball. Cause if you launched that sport brand new today, it wouldn't even capture it's just, it's legacy. Totally. You know what I'm saying? It's so like basketball is a global export. We still, we need some of our global audiences. That's why they bow down to them because we need that global audience to absorb our NBA content and, and just make this truly a global sport as well as yep. some great things happening all over Asia as well. Uh, okay. Um, some questions from our, our, our audience, which is our students. So we, okay, we're going to talk about esports. We're going to get into NFT play. You know, some of the, you've had, you know, with a lot of your investors, you've, you've, you've hung out with, you've rubbed shoulders, a lot of athletes. Have there been some qualities that stand out? You don't have to get into names, get into names if you want. Uh, I can tell you, they know some of the athletes I've invested with. Uh, some, what quality stands out? It's cool to have the brand name, but what can you do with that brand name? Right. And, and what does it do for you if you're co-investing or investing in an athlete driven company? I would say for me, the, the biggest sign of success with the athlete investors is curiosity. Like, do these guys really care to learn about what the company's doing, meet the founders, get on the calls themselves, as opposed to hand it off to their manager or their agent and say, hey, like, I'm just a source of capital. You go make the decision on your own, right? So, you know, some of the guys that, that we've done things with, and Dominican Sue stands out to me. Sue is one of the smartest guys I've ever met, right? And while he's an absolute animal on on the field, like the dude's a teddy bear in real life. And he's one of the most curious and thoughtful people that I've ever met. And he, like, he, he never hands me off to his money guy. He wants to be the guy actually on every call. Love he texts me proactively to ask me for updates on what's going on. How can he help? Who can he get involved with? Um, so I think I, I've had a great, great time working with Sue over the years. Uh, he's done so many deals with us. Um, you know, Paul George is someone who's gotten involved with us as well. He's another guy that not to the extent that Sue gets involved, but he has, he wants to learn. And so whenever his schedule permits, he'll actually ask to get on a call and learn more about companies and, and hop on with us. And we've got, you know, Hollywood celebrity type, a lot of A-list actors, agents, a lot of those people who are investing in our firm and, there's a, 
there's a good mix. There's people we've literally never met, never heard from. Their money manager has just thrown money in on their behalf and they say, go to work. And there's others who literally proactively want to learn and get involved. And I think the ones who want to learn and get involved are the ones who end up having the biggest impact on the company and on their own portfolio because they're actually getting to know where their money is going as opposed to putting it in someone else's hand. So to me, you know, I think that that curiosity piece is, is what stands out from the great investors and the ones that are just allocating capital through a, through a, a wealth manager. I love it. Yeah. If they have a, if they're, if they're great to work with, it just makes it and they, and they want to have success in the space, right? You love it because they have that crush it mentality, right? Because they've done it on the field as well. Let's jump into the, so what's coming? We know NFTs is trading the physical. A lot of this was driven by the Stimmy checks, right? Like a lot of people are collecting a lot of things the last couple of years and, you know, and driving up crazy valuations and things. I think there's a huge spot. We know Bob Iger, just, Bob Iger, just, you know, ex-CEO over decades of Disney, just joined the Genies. Um, and, and that's going to be all NFL avatar driven. They're going to be doing a lot with their music artists that they have relationships with. And that's probably an acquisition target for Disney or maybe someone else at some point. Um, but actually, let's park it there for a second. Bob Iger is a huge get for a company like that, right? So your board positions, you're usually going to get all, let's say you have five board members, you're going to give them like 2% total, right? It, it could fluctuate a well, little bit. Mo mo look, most, bo most board members are your VCs and your founders, so you're not even giving them anything, right? So Iger is probably the only external board member on that board is my guess. Sometimes a lot of startups will bring their board members because they have some sort of domain expertise, right? So that's how it's coming to the table. What do you think they gave someone like him? He's worth giving 2% chunk potentially because he might get a 20 extra return, right? In a sense, right? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 yeah I, can't, I can't imagine he gets out of bed for less than a couple of points. There, there's no reason <laughs> to. Like, it, there's just no reason to. Because just by getting someone like him in, uh, on board, and he's smart, sharp, obviously, just kind of alluding to what uh, you know, Vasu was saying about uh, Sue earlier, who um, used to beat up in, in my division, in the Bears division all the time. And now he's, thank God, he's with the Bucks. I think he's still with the Bucks, right? He's, he's still with the Bucks, with yeah. Um, I imagine so. With, with Tom coming back, I imagine uh, he resigns. Goat. We'll talk about goats in a minute. Um, <laughs> but so you, you get something like that. What would be too much to pay? Because, you know, Bob Iger, immediately you get him on. Bloomberg, CNBC, every media outlet wants to cover you. That's tremendous brand exposure. It's smart money. Right. As we alluded to, uh, you're going to transfer. What's too much to pay for someone like that? 5%, 10%? For, for Bob Iger, I don't, I don't know that there is a too much, right? I, I think you're getting, you're getting things that money cannot buy with him. You're getting unbelievable press on your company. You're getting a true, a tried and tested operator who's operating one of the biggest companies in the world. And you're basically getting him on your board. You're getting his Rolodex imaginably anybody in the world literally anybody in the world you want to talk to, I'm pretty sure they're going to take a call from Bob Iger, right? Like any brand, any head of state, like it doesn't matter. Like he could probably call the president and you're going to get a, you're going to get a meeting with him. Yeah. So I, I would just say there, there's no number for Bob that's too high. He's one of the few execs out there that I could actually say like, there's probably no number that's too high. And I like, I've never met the guy, but from, from reading his book, he seems like a genuinely good dude. Right. You're not getting some asshole executive on your board. You're getting a really good dude. I'm assuming like, you know, like Chris Paul in that section in the book, where like he was, he was calling him for advice. There's a lot of athletes that call Bob Iger for advice and right. how to invest because it's just a tech savvy, investment savvy arena now. Right. It's so easy to invest. So you have a lot of folks from this world trying to invest. 
Okay, so we see the simple things. There's legacy brands like Nike, Adidas, uh, Adidas, if you want to say it properly. Um, there, you know, all of these legacy brands are investing in blockchain-enabled tech, metaverse, NFT drops. We're talking about. We've talked about this in class as well. So that's cool. You 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 get the sneakers. You can get an NFT. There's a community build around it to drive up valuations around that. We talked about that. What are some other plays? So those are the simple things we can see. Another thing I'm looking at, I'm actually, I'm going to bring it to you at some point. You can shoot it down or not, whatever. You can do it live on TV right now if you want. Um, there's a, a company we're looking at that's, it's okay. How should I say this without giving away? Um, so, so, oh, the fantasy analytics that you can, we, we capture, let's say every Sunday, let's go to football. Every Sunday you capture on football, your fantasy, your favorite players are getting these analytics. There's a, there's a group, you can load this information in and it actually plays with those analytics in play. But then you have 22 different members of 22 different fantasy points coming in and how do they interact with each other? It's going to be much different than what you just saw or how it actually parlayed on the real field. There are things like that. What are some next level things that were coming in this space that we're not even talking about yet? Just give us an inkling. Don't have to tell us what you're investing in, but like, give us, give us a shot. Well, first of all, everybody, who, if you're planning to sell your real home and think you're going to live in the metaverse, you know, that, that's not a real thing. Like, don't, 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 don't do that. Like, don't, don't lose your home over, over uh, if fantasy If you do land. call Vasu and I, we'll sell you something. Right, 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 exactly. I've got, I've got a, I've got this thing called the Taj Mahal that I can sell you as well if you're, if you're buying. Um, well, I, I. I go back and forth, right? I'm, I'm old in this space, which is crazy to say, because, you know, I'm 35, but like, I'm old. You're, we're, you're, these are, these are like 18 year old, 16 year old, 22 year old kids that are talking about, about their avatars in the future. And I'm like, I, I get it because I, I have to get it, but I'm also like, Jesus, I can't believe that you're spending that kind of money on, on, on fairy dust, which is what it essentially is. Right. Um, you know, I've been, I've been a collector of physical things my whole life from time I was five years old, I was collecting trading cards. I've loved memorabilia. I got into watches in a very, very deep way during the pandemic. I, I became one of the biggest ticket stub collectors and I bought ticket stubs from all the greatest moments in sports dating back to, you know, Jesse Owens's uh, gold medal to the 36 Berlin Olympics to, Jordan's debut with the Bulls to uh, the flu game in Utah. Like you name the major sporting event. I own a ticket stub to it. And now ticket stubs are gone. Like there's no more, there are no more paper tickets. Everything after the pandemic has become digital. And I think that I, I, I sort of cleaned out the market at the right time when it comes to ticket stubs. But, you know, so for me as sort of this old school guy, this idea of a physical tangible object, that has some sort of sentimental meaning is what gives its value versus today. When you look at where people are spending money with NFTs, you're looking at this thing, you're going like, it's a fucking squiggle. Like somebody just paid $3 million for a squiggly line (laughs) and your, your, your head is trying, your, your head's going to explode. But if if you talk to someone that, that grew up in this era in the digital era of, of like looking at their phone from the time they were three years old, they would probably look at my physical items and they'd go, dude, you have to store those somewhere. You have to put them in a safe. You have to insure them. You have to ship them out when you want to send them to somebody. You, it can get damaged through wear and tear. Um, if you want to sell it, you literally have to take pictures of it and make a listing on eBay and wait for someone to, to bid on it. They're like, 
With my digital collectible, I just press a button and somebody sends me crypto and I have it and they have it. Yeah. And like when you think about it that way, you're like, yeah, like why is a Jordan debut ticket worth anything? It's a piece of paper. It's no different than the pixels that are on the squiggly line NFT that somebody else seems to resonate with. Now, right. I grew up in the Jordan era. For me, he's God. But like, I like this but, guy. <laughs> but 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 for some kid that never saw Jordan play, who is Jordan? Like they don't care about Michael Jordan, but yeah. they have they have Ooh. some connection with this artist who made this squiggly line, yeah. right? And 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 so you know, I I think that the next several years we're we're seeing this dramatic shift in the physical world and the digital world sort of blending together, and there's going to have to be some on ramps and off ramps of how you go from your your physical life into the digital world. And then you come back to reality because like we're still humans, like unless unless it turns out we've been living in a simulation the entire time, like we're still flesh and blood and we still have to live in the real world. But you can't ignore the fact that you're going to have this digital persona yeah. that lives in the metaverse, as we're calling it. And if you kind of don't live there, you don't exist for a whole slew of people like there's going to be a ton of people who don't think of you as a person who exists, if they can't find you in the digital world, as insane as that sounds. Um, it's a different so. branding. It's a branding. So I just spoke to some students in Brazil, unfortunately from the East Coast. I wish I was in Brazil because that would have been beautiful. But literally, we just talked about this. Hey, on Tuesday, I could be a six foot one blonde woman with blue eyes. On t Wednesday, I could be uh, something else, right? Uh, someone entirely different. The, uh, I'm talking in the metaverse, right? And that's a different branding advertising sell against each one of those personas online. So we're going to exponentially grow. So there are opportunities there. A lot of it will be BS. A lot of it will be interesting to kind of follow. It's going to be exciting. Now, I can't let someone like Vasu come on and not talk about sports, physical, real life sports. I play nowhere near as well as this guy. I already know. I want you. To, so who's your favorite shooter? I already know the answer to this, but who's your favorite shooter in the game today? Oh man, come on! I, I know Give, uh, Steph Curry. So we know this, right? So is it true? Are you rocking the Steph Curry jerseys in this in the Cavalier skybox? With I've, I've, I've I've never in my life worn a jersey to a game. Um, I all, I'm always dressed in neutral colors because I don't you know if I'm in Boston I don't want to get killed by by the the hooligans there. <laughs> and and so I, I as as a business decision I never wear uh, any any team's colors ever. That said. Uh, I was rooting for the Warriors silently internally, um, and uh, and they found out about the fact that I was rooting for the other team, and they were not happy about it. Yeah. Dan Gilbert, who wrote the largest check to your first one, he's like, hey, what the hell? <laughs> and by the way, paying for my tickets for every one of those games, right? So, more important. So, greatest shooter, Steph Curry, in your opinion, greatest defender in the game right now. I I'm still gonna go with Draymond Green, even though there will be a lot of haters for that. I I think Giannis, that what, somebody. I think what Draymond does in terms of how smart he is with help defense and being able to 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 almost hide guys like Steph. Like I'm and, and by the way, Steph is not a bad Steph is not a bad defender. Yeah, Steph is actually an above average defender for his size and his weight, but. He, he, like he plays apparently he gets a lot of deflections. He actually rebounds the ball pretty well on those long rebounds. Um, but the reality is Steph is going to get overpowered by larger guards in the league. Yeah. And what Draymond does in terms of hiding that and coming over for help defense and being able to, to get back to his man, like he is one of those guys that if you don't play the game, 
it's really hard to understand what Draymond gives you. But as a guy who is very much like Steph Curry, that you need to hide on defense, like I understand how good Draymond Green would make me look if he was on my team because I need a guy like that. So you're a shooter uh, first. Is that, is that I'm a game? shooter first. Absolutely. Okay, I love it. I love it. Okay, so greatest shooter, LeBron. I'm sorry, LeBron. Shit. Ooh. Of course not. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, he's amazing. You can't take away from what LeBron has accomplished. Uh, Steph Curry, you got Draymond Green. Oh, two on the same team. Uh, okay, mid, so long-range shooter would be Steph. Mid-range shooter, who would that be in your opinion? A healthy Clay Thompson. Mid-range. Okay. Both mid, both like Clay. Clay will take you off the dribble, one step in mid-range shot. Uh, when when he's healthy, right? If you're looking back, if you look at that, you know when he had 37 and a quarter, like only so many of those were threes. Like a lot of those were mid-range yeah. shots. Like Clay's Clay is deadly mid-range and and three-point. But you know Clay's not healthy right now. I'll say guy with a killer mid-range game right now has been Demar Derozan. Like yeah, that you. boy yeah, is crushing killing. It, he is killing right now in the mid-range. Lakers could have had him, but they chose Westbrook. You know, it's, it's, you, LeBron should not be a GM. He's trying to be. GM, he's trying to wear too many hats, right? <laughs> but so, um, how can you be the greatest of all time if you're not the greatest of your time? I'm kidding. I'm sorry, man. Some people spell LeBron L E B R O N. I spell it with six L's in the finals. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm being a jacket. Look, he's amazing. I think. But what you alluded to, a lot of people don't even know, like Jordan's game. After seeing the Last Dance, which was my entire childhood, I remember being with my friends watching those live. I never saw Michael Jordan live. My wife has, and that's a, it sucks because <laughs> I was right there. I was in Chicago. I never saw him live. Uh, just cause I probably didn't have any money to go to the games, <laughs> but I mean, it's a reliving. And then the sixth ring, we just thought it wasn't going to happen. And, um, I, I, after seeing the last dance, I see, you know, I firmly cemented. He is my goat, Jordan. And then I put Kobe slide him into number two. Cause he had that goat, that crazy mentality. I slid him up above LeBron. I put LeBron number three or maybe even four. Cause even with everyone always says, Oh, Le Jordan had Scottie Pippen. Well, LeBron's had the equivalent of five Pippins and still can't get it done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> On the same team, but LeBron's an amazing player. I just don't see the greatest of all time. That's all. That's all. No, LeBron, LeBron. I can't, I can't put LeBron one. I, MJ will always be one. I, I think LeBron has a case for two, but so does Magic Johnson. Uh, you know, without, without what, without the AIDS thing, like who knows what else you, how many more he had a chance to win. Sure. Maybe sure. not, but, but may, he might've competed a couple more years, but I mean, listen, what he did in the, in, in the eighties uh, with, with the Lakers. And, and by the way, that new, sh that new show on, on HBO is fantastic. I heard it's amazing. I haven't seen it, it's, but I heard it's, it's fire. so good. <laughs> so, you know, to me, it's, it's Michael LeBron magic. You know, I never saw Kareem play and I never saw Bill Russell play. Mm. Right. But it, and, and so it's hard for me to put those guys there, yeah. but at the same time, like 10, 10 championships for Russell, yeah. like, it doesn't matter what era you played in. If you can win 10 NBA championships, yeah. I think you got to be on that list. Sure. Um, I, I think, I think KD is going to go down as top 10 all time. Um, I hope, as, I, I think 10 to, yeah, I hope he gets his head right. Right. He's still complaining about the Warriors. I'm like, come on, man. You've been gone for a couple of years. <laughs> Just let it KD's a little soft. He, he, he lets people get in his head. He lets Twitter get in his head, but you know, all time talent. KD is top 10 in my book without a doubt. Kyrie Irving is a top 10 player Dude, all time superstar with the handles from, from a, from a, from a talent perspective. It's, it's just unfortunate that he's a head case and he, you know, it, it, and that's going to hurt him. Like his legacy will be defined in many ways by the nonsense that went on this year and his, 
his uh, his reluctance he's, to he's get a shot. Ball skills, all while thinking the Earth is flat. So you gotta, you gotta love that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Any parting words you have for our students? I'm sure they love this entire episode. Uh, listen, I, I've I've been lucky enough to do what I love every day, and that's been sports. It's defined everything I've done. So you know, if you guys are 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 sports fans, or whether you're or, or Pokemon fans, or your whatever fans you are of, of something in life, I urge you to. To find something you're passionate about and make that your career, it, it won't be easy. Uh, it's not. It's not always the best way to get paid. There's easier ways to get paid in life. But I can tell you that from a quality of life perspective, I've been out of school for 13 years. I've never worked a single day in my life, and I I pray to God that I never will have to work a single day in my life because every day I wake up and I'm doing something that is just fun for me. So I, I I've never felt like oh God, I can't believe I have to go into work today and do something. I've never had that feeling in my life. Love it, man. That's awesome. So Vasu Kalkarni, how, how can they reach you? How can they find out more about what you're doing? Uh, Twitter is pretty good. Uh, at Vasu on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I apologize in advance for my tweets, but go ahead and, and give me a follow and you can always DM me. Thank you so much. This has been Financing New Media Ventures, Gabelli School of Business, MBA Level 2, I think, and Media Management Groups. Uh, love our students. And I know they're going to eat this episode up. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.